0: You just reminded me of In Graffiti Bridge, where the, the guy pees on the plant <laughs> 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 and then lights it on fire.
1: <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast, and we are back again for an album review. <gasps> we haven't done this in a while. This is the
0: concise edition. Unabridged. If you want to hear the full uncut
1: version, go to
0: peachandblack.proboards.com.
1: All right, excited to go into one of the last albums of the 90s. And we're starting this album review series in 2011 with the 1999 release rave into the joy fantastic with a little side dose of rave into the joy fantastic um seeing that those two albums kind of go hand in hand in a way but before we go into it let's welcome everyone back to the show again captain is here
0: ain't nobody banging
1: player is here (laughs) doing the marshmallow (laughs) and toe jam has decided to come along today to talk about an album that he doesn't think a lot of
2: Come one, come all to the download ball. <laughs> all
1: right, so let's get started. We'll go straight into it. I'm trying season to season three. Yeah, season three. We're streaming, streamlining things, simplifying things. Let's go into it. But before we go into our song by song, uh, in depth album review, uh, let's set the scene a little bit. What was going on around the 1999 era, or the 1999 year? I should specify. You know, what what's the history? What's the background before uh, before this album came out? Um. Prince was suing Uptown Magazine. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: oh, no, that, that's every year, isn't it? <laughs> okay.
3: Technically correct. What else was happening? It was a strange year. I think it started with the 1999 remaster. That came out about February. Around the middle of the year, we got The Vault from Warner Brothers. And as soon as that dropped, he announced that he's got a new album called Rave. He said The Vault is just old stuff. And it, it was he was trying to take the focus off that album and say that he's got a new album coming out. And probably the main thing about this album, it was sort of billed as a comeback album. Kind of like in the vein of Carlos Santana's Supernatural album, where there's guest stars and, and sort of pitched at a certain audience yeah. Or, or it was supposed to be pitched at a certain yes. audience. <laughs> that didn't really happen. So. Yeah. yeah,
2: we could do an entire episode just on the promotion of yeah, this album, the positives true. and negatives of it. It was a bit all over the place. Like, you know, he signed with Arista, and all the, all the year there was talk that there was going to be this big comeback album, and 1999 was on... The music channels every second song given the year, and so it was. It was definitely a strange period for Prince because he wasn't. I don't think he was personally ready yet for the big comeback. I think that came a couple of years later with One Night Alone, Musicology era. Mm. Uh, so this this was a kind of very strange release uh, coming off the back of like New Power Soul and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. The other thing was that, and this is more of a minor point, I guess, but uh, there was a little bit of a hoopla made about the the fact that this was this album had credited. Prince as the producer
0: producer because yeah, yeah. he's an excellent editor apparently <laughs> yes
2: it is funny that he said that you know it's, oh he's a great editor and um, when, when you think about it the album's like the longest single disc album he has I think it's like 75 <laughs> minutes 72 minutes or something yeah, crazy yeah, like that it's
1: pretty long yeah. no, but that's, that's full of all the silent gaps isn't it Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is that it, this still was an album under the, the symbol name uh, should we say uh, it was, was it really, was it
2: the last?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was the last album of the symbol era, I guess.
0: So we had come. That was the, the death of Prince, and this is this is death of symbol. You should have um, called it came.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> came and went. <laughs> uh, so at this stage, really, uh, well, you could argue, probably one of the most. Successful independent artists uh, of of that era. I don't know if I'd say
0: he was the most successful, but I would say he's the most he would at the time he was the most well known. It was a lot of trial and and
3: error on his front. Like he was still new to the sort of independent game, and he was just trying different things, see what worked, what didn't work. Mm.
1: I I think also musically, what was going on at the time was at least from an R and B point of view, was it was the era of neo soul. Probably highlight you know people like Erica Badu, uh, the roots obviously already in the in the game for a few years, but coming with some of their strongest material by that by that point, uh, D'Angelo, Raphael Sadiq, all, all those types of guys. But on the on the flip side, it was you know the the alternative rock era was kind of coming to an end. Things slowly, at least in my opinion, started um, becoming a lot more electro pop sounding, a lot more plastic in many ways.
3: That's that's what I remember of the late 90s is the people coming up like um Britney Spears, NSYNC,
1: mm. J-Lo.
3: There was a lot of like, you know, manufactured bands and it was and the big pop you know. it
0: was the big pop comeback. It was great.
1: Mm. It's the era of the of Spice Girls really.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't mm. it?
1: And uh and you've got but then in the middle of it you've got an artist like Santana who along him along with his band comes out with with one of the more successful albums of that time and really reinvigorates his own career. And potentially Prince um, and his troop and, and the people at Arista uh, at least initially thought that that was, that was going to happen. They said, well. I'll have some of that. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, don't,
2: then, I don't think Prince knew what he was getting into. And I don't think Arista knew what they were getting into when they signed Prince as well. I think it's in, uh, in terms of trying to make that big supernatural 2.0 kind of thing. It was mm. never going to happen.
1: Yeah. But the other thing I'll just add uh, at the tail end of this whole uh, era you know, the the, the late 90s, is it really started becoming apparent to most people, I think, that were serious about uh, the music industry. Really, the death of the record store by then, the introduction of the internet to a huge degree, and the idea of the commercial element, music as commerce, really started becoming a major force even for fans so you know and, and then this album comes out in the middle of it so should be an interesting show. Let's go into uh, this intriguing release Raven to the Joy Fantastic, which is also the title of track number one rave, rave, rave. To the joy, fantastic. Yeah. Let, let's talk about it Any, oh yeah okay all right <laughs> to- Jim, what do, what, do, what do you why don't you start this show off with uh, your thoughts? on rave unto the joy fantastic
2: okay well first thing the most obvious thing for most hardcore prince fans we probably know that this song is from 88 89 around there sometime and was supposedly on the original configuration of rave unto the joy fantastic so a lot of people feel that this what i've read anyway a lot of people feel that this song doesn't really belong on this album but um to me when i got this album i wasn't a huge prince fan at the time i was getting into it i had no idea that this was an old song and it wasn't until probably a couple of years later that I found that out. And so to me, when I heard this song, I, I never had that connection. Uh. So to me, it, it just feels like it's seamless with the album. I, don't, I, can't, I find it really hard to hear it and hear it as a song recorded from the 80s. Well, I wonder actually, because we know the year before this, he was do, uh, putting together the Crystal Ball project. And I wonder uh. if he was going through all his vault things and thought, hey, this song, and it sort of brought back some memories and thought, hey, maybe I can make an album based around this kind of vibe, which I think he has to an extent. Actually, the song itself, fantastic song. The, the highlight for me is just his his screams. They're just painful. Hm. Uh, literally, like when I hear him scream that scream towards the end, I, I have to like crunch my face up. It's just its
1: painful to listen he, to. He sounds he sounds just like he sounded in, in 88, <laughs> doesn't he? Gee, <laughs> I wonder how. I
0: wonder how he did that.
2: <laughs> and what makes the song so cool is, you know, this big beat rhythm and then there's this accent on halfway between beat two and three. So it's yeah. one, two, ba, two, one. To, yeah, cracks that the whole way through with the guitar and the, the bass drum. And it's got that classic sort of almost Rolling Stones kind of electric guitar riff running through it. Uh, and it's just minimalistic prints. And um, I've read somewhere that he didn't release it at the time because he felt it was too much like Kiss. The production, Yeah, was I much... saw that. I'm like, you can kind of see, but I don't know. It's not that much like Kiss. It's, it's sparse. I, was... I, don't, I, don't, that, it... I think yeah. that's
0: a connection that only he could see, though. Well, really? you can
2: see it once someone points it out to you, but I don't know. I don't think it was that. Hey, how many it. songs are sparse? Like... Millions. Yeah, that's right. But um, oh, it's it's a cracker of a track. Total cracker of a track. Um, this is one to turn up loud and just party to it.
1: <laughs> Good production values on on it as well. I mean, even today it sounds, yeah. from a production standpoint alone, sounds as current as anything, really.
2: Yeah, and I it's mean... really uplifting. I don't know if you guys feel that, but to me, it's like it's really uplifting. It's this kind of, you know, big beat song, but it, it always puts a smile on my face.
0: Oh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> See, that point there is is what I make when people talk about remasters and how tapes disintegrate in the vault. Like, this was bought out of the vault and it just sounds like it was recorded yesterday. Like, the sound quality is fantastic. The song is very much a groove and it doesn't really vary much from that it reminds me of the 80s era sound obviously um but being talked about for over 10 years in print circles before its official release i mean once i got to hear it on this album i was a bit like oh it's, it's what's that the idea. big deal <laughs> kind of like see like i'm looking at it differently to the way toe jam looked at it because he didn't know it was an older thing but i mean you know as great as it is it was a bit overhyped for me i'll give an example like the, the chant was used in the batman 12 inch you know if you're watching graffiti bridge movie he's got the score sheet like you know in Ingrid Chavez is, is going through the, the sheets and there's, you know, Rave and then, you know, it said of reminding him of Kiss and it was uh, uh, left in the vault to marinade, and, you know, so after all this time I was expecting some blow your head off type release. But, <laughs> but the things I like, okay, I, I like the fact that it was a vault item and by all accounts it was released as its original recording. As we know, most things he pulls out of the vault are either reworked or laced with too many overdubs so I like mm. the fact that he hasn't touched it too much. Multi-layered vocals with the reverb creates this nice thick texture. The guitar tone in this era is, all, is my all-time favorite, as I've mentioned before. So a big tick on that front. Especially the last 45 seconds or so of the song, it's a central headphone listening. Mm-hmm. Um, the way the guitars pan from left to right. Great guitar. Yeah. yeah. And the guitar line, I, I believe he used it in the song The Max. Yep. So go and check that out. Um, and those electric piano keyboard stabs that interplays with the rhythm. I'm a big fan of that. Mm. Um, as far as the remix goes, um, it raises the BPMs a bit, but it's too disco-fied for me, and too many overdubs for overdub's sake as a conscious oh. move to make it sound different. It's, its
2: yeah. yeah. Not I'm not a huge fan of here. the remix.
3: It-, but it, it sounds to me like he's trying to add sounds on there to make it deliberately sound like a remix. Yeah. Like I'll just put this uh, uh, another keyboard and another guitar on top of this to make it sound different from what the original is. Yeah. But anyway,
1: the the thing with the if I can just quickly go, go in on the on the remix, um, the rave into the Joy Fantastic release, which which uh, I remember getting from the MPG Music Club, uh, I was really looking forward to it to see what the remix was, was like. And when when I first heard it, it was just this lame sounding house style houses in house, house dance, dance music, music style. style. Uh, version, which which I think was was a pale imitation of the original, at least to me. Yep. Um, and the, the the Rave remix was an easy throwaway. Very easy. <gasps> oh. I mean, it's just pretty bad. Whenever he's taken any of his songs, including 1999, and made a quote-unquote dance version out of it, uh, it doesn't seem to work. Just my thought. But anyway, Captain.
0: <gasps> okay, here we go. I like the Into version much more.
1: On oh, no, you're kidding.
0: Only, I really? think... Is, this,
1: is this is your 2011 The Morning After moment, <laughs> right here.
0: I think... <laughs> you started into the off the John year Tantanity. with a bang, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Remix version is better for... Why, why, why? For two reasons. Because the first time I heard this, I was in Paisley Park, in the Love for One Another room, with that blasting through the speakers. And I think it was the first time he'd played it anywhere. And everyone just sat there, going, "Oh, wow, oh, wow!" Oh, oh, listen to that, and it was great. And that sort of colours my view on it because I just remember that time, and it was good.
1: Well, it's a good, it's a good point you make. I mean, how many of us, when we hear a song, think of where we heard it first, who we were with, etc.? So, I guess there's a there's mm-hmm. a there's a pretty real element of the, the memory plays a very real element in songs. But yeah.
0: And the second reason is. I think the remix version is more similar to the version that I had in my head. The version that I had imagined from those snippets out of Batman uh, is more like the It's more rem- like this remix version that uh, you know that I but- thought it was going to be like. It's got some yeah. bass. It's oh, yeah. got some serious bass. You listen to it on some big bloody speakers at Basley Park. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably with the bass all the way up. But that's that song. I think it's a good one. I prefer Into than Unto.
1: <laughs> how, how Shakespearean of you. Um, well, I, I don't really have too much to add. It's uh, I definitely prefer Rave Unto the Joy Fantastic. I think it's really... S- it works because of how sparse it is, and it's a. I agree with Toy Jam about the uplift factor. It's definitely something that it actually it psychs me up for the rest of the album, and yeah. um, most of what comes up after this. Uh, I don't think the promise of this song, of this opening title, ever really manifests in the album. It's a crazy title for a song or an album, really. I mean, what does it mean, Raven to the Joy Fantastic? It just had all these, conjures up, kind of, you know, space science can, fiction can, elements. There's
0: no way you could ever make a song as good as that
1: title. <laughs> and, and and I'm just thinking, oh, this could be an album of, you know, new ideas, new concepts, new recording processes, and, and new sounds... <laughs> and that doesn't happen. That's not to say the music is bad, but yes. it's de- he definitely goes into, he follows this track with a lot of convention. So anyway, this would be great to hear live. I'd love to hear this song live. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll add that to the other hundred songs. Yeah. That would sound great. <laughs> so, wow. One track over. <laughs> so let's go into track number two. And again, this is followed with a remix. So let's tackle two in one. Check it. Undisputed. 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 Player.
3: Okay, Undisputed is a bit of an oddity for me. As you know, I love Prince music, and when I'm not listening to Prince music, I'm listening to a a wide array of other styles, but primarily hip-hop music. And Public Enemy's music was a big soundtrack of my life growing up, and so when it was announced that there'd be a track on Rave that would have Chuck D guest starring on it, I was really excited to check check it out, Um, especially after some of the comments made by Chuck D about Prince in the early 90s, which I'm sure is all resolved now. Um, but after listening to the song, I, you know, I came to the conclusion that you know both are great at doing their own thing, but not necessarily together. But having said that, there are certain wow moments in there for me. Um, the interesting drum pattern and the mighty return of the Lindrum. It was nice to hear the Lindrum make a return after all these years. The vocoded backing vocals and the random sound effects and scorches that run all the way through it, which you need um, headphones to really appreciate it. It's cool. Questlove and D'Angelo got to mention but I'm not a big fan of the shout-outs. And the uh, out-of-touch, my dear, I am the touch lines are mm. cringeworthy to me. Another wow moment for me is the chicken grease style guitar that's played whilst Chuck D is doing his mm. rap.
1: Yeah, that's um,
3: Really nice, but overall it's a hit and miss track for me.
1: All right, all right. Uh, Captain?
0: The, I'll just say what a player said. The lindrum, the the mighty return of the lindrum, that was a big thing in the in pushing this album, I remember. Mm. I remember it was a symbol album, but Prince is back and he's brought his lindrum. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was what the, that what they were saying. I just remember that.
2: It was funny. It's only on a couple of the tracks really. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh this song, it's got it's got very interesting drum programming in there, which he does. He talks he says about D'Angelo and Quest Love in there somewhere. I can't remember what he says, but he says their name.
1: Which is isn't that kind of a semi diss? I don't just... think it's a diss
3: at all. I think I think the point of the song is, you know, it's undisputed that you know if you're if you're um, doubting Prince and his abilities, you know, go and ask D'Angelo or Questlove, like you know, like what we bring,
0: <laughs> because they copy me more than anyone else.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, but he knows he knows that they're massive, fa- like they're massive fans.
0: Uh, I like the little harpsichord break in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's very Larry Graham esque. It is. It's very GCS. It's it's good. I like that. But this, as well, I like the Rave Into version. There's just less clutter. There's less crap in there. The the album version's got all this extra, you know, it's just sounds. It's just clutter. But the Into version, it's really, it's more, uh, it's, e- it's easier to listen to. It's just a straight song without all the, the, the fluff.
2: But, yeah, that's it.
1: The money the Moneyapolis mix is the mix for me. Um,
2: yeah. Are you disputing Undisputed?
1: <laughs> I am. I am. The original version. It's okay, but some of the some of the chants and the shout outs are a bit cringe worthy for me.
0: And,
1: and yeah, get rowdy, but production isn't as good as on on the Moneyapolis mix, so I'm really gonna talk about the remix because for all intents and purposes, it, it contains, you know, the core of the the original song, but it, it does add a few things, not least of which is the bass popping. I love that. Okay. It's just, Beautiful to listen to. It Comes straight through the headphones, very, very nicely. And um, again, just ins- he's inserted them those bass pops right. You can't listen to this re- remix now without the bass in there. It just it adds it's a- adds a big element of funk into it. And the chicken grease at the end is delicious. Um, <laughs> it's just a cool song. Yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's it's great stuff. It it reminds me of. I guess some of the beats and production style that um, he was he was utilizing in the late '80s around the Batman era soundtrack, and even in the early '90s with some of the more hip hop stuff. But this this sounds pretty pretty current. I mean, you can listen to this this track today. So um, I, I definitely this is on my iPod mix of this album for sure. Uh, Toe Jam. Oh, I think.
2: I'm going to say straight up that I prefer the Unto version. Only just. Only just. For, oh. for a couple of years there, I did prefer the Into version. But I don't know. The last couple of years with the Into version, I just find that it's really good for the first minute and then it just sort of goes and it sort of whimpers out, I find, when it starts uh-huh. getting into all the too far right to get left on a sideway. It's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> um, but having said that, uh, I like the Unto version just because it, there's so much in it. It's it's really thick. There's a lot happening. I know that's what you guys say you don't like about it, but I actually like that. Regardless of what version you're talking about, I like the sort of stop-start nature of the, the bass line. Dun, 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 that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, I love the chicken scratch. To me, that's the highlight when that comes in over the rap. The rap itself is kind of cheesy. Um, I would have preferred it if Prince had done something there. It does kind of seem like Chuck D is just sort of in there to have Chuck D's name on the album kind of thing. Mm. What else have I got? The Return of the Lin, obviously. This was definitely the first one, I think. And since then, he's pretty much he's used it on most albums at some point. I think a lot of people do get turned off by the NPG Get Rowdy chant, and I can see why. But I think if you can get over the NPG Get Rowdy chant, and if you can get over the, um, the cheesy rap, I think the Untu version is much better. Hmm. I don't and see, so you bring man. up
1: you bring up a, an interesting point. I know we've had this discussion over the last couple of years, anyway. But I just repeat, like a broken record, my position on this: if you have to get over anything in a song, especially if you have to get over a few different elements, it's just not worth it in the long <laughs> run. <laughs> just listen to some music that is great as it is. That, that'll be my my, my comment to the, to the listeners, anyway. So was that it? Did, did I? Yeah,
2: I that's
1: you that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, I like it. Track number three, uh, the great. Test romance that's ever been sold. Captain, what do you think about this track?
0: It's a it's a classic prince with all his multi-tracking vocals. When it came out, I was like, this is like the cousin of most beautiful girl in the world. Oh no, you it's stole it. it. It's a very <laughs> similar it's very similar just idea and sound and But I like the song. I like a couple of the remixes too. I think it was Was it Jason Nevins or someone did the remixes? Yes, it was. Yeah, I like some of the remixes. Um, but yeah, it's a good song. Yeah, that's about
1: it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Toe Jam.
2: I had that down that as my first point. It's To me, it's it's the minor key version of The Most Beautiful Girl in the World. <laughs> uh, it's got that big layered vocal chorus that sort of repeats throughout. Yeah. It's got the you know, sort of rotating between the one and the four chord, but obviously major minor, depending on the song. Um, but the melody in this is really striking, I find, the melody of the mm. song, especially when it gets to that descending chords that just keep going down. And he's yeah. his doing these big jumps with his voice. It's really interesting. Interesting melody. What do you prefer out of the two? Probably definitely Greatest Romance, because Most Beautiful Girl in the World is probably a little, possibly slightly commercial for my liking, but we'll get to that. what I really like in this song and for the album in general is just the interplay between all the instruments like when he's singing Mm -hmm. the verses after every line there's like a little answer from some instrument whether it's a keyboard riff or a little guitar riff or something just like this constant a little
1: Arabic scale or something yeah that's right so it's this constant
2: you know question and answer uh, between the lyrics and and the music which I find I always love that kind of stuff Uh, I love all the synth strings in the background the flutters the little minor arpeggios that are happening and there's some really cool Vocal effects towards the end when he's uh, talking about, can you tell me the reason, the reason, the reason, like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't really that, care for what he's good. talking about. But, but it I sounds like good. Effect. It sounds good. Yeah, that's right. And I really like the Adam and Eve rem- remix of this. Yep. I think it's almost as good as the album version. Um, it's got a cool little rap with some of the lyrics from Silicon. Great guitar solo. Mm. Sounds good. So, yeah, this is uh, an amazing song. An amazing song. Again, I'm not really huge into lyrics. I don't really want to read too much into it, but I just think musically there's a lot happening here. High praise. Lots of praise.
3: Very high praise. Uh, player. Okay, do I think this is a great, solid, skillfully written song? Yes. Do I think it's a great ballad that ranks right up there with these other ballads? Yes. Do I think this should Could have been the lead single of this album? Yep. Hell No. <laughs> hell no I'll
2: agree with that I'll agree with
3: that like to me Greatest Romance as good as it is, it isn't strong enough of a track to draw you into the rave project a casual listener could easily mistake its sensuality for being a bit of a sleeper track and releasing the song as a single and then the video over a month later it, it loses its momentum and it showed that on the US Billboard chart it only I think it only hit at like 63 yeah however that aside lyrically brilliant sonically brilliant Instrumentation and vocal layering and arranging is amazing. Co written with Mike Scott, and the little guitar embellishments all the way through the song is really nice. The way the verses, uh, melody steps down, the semitone step by step, makes it interesting to listen to. Mm. Um, it's a real solid track. I'm too also a big fan of the Adam and Eve B side remix that ended part ended up on Rave Into. The beat is a little bit harder. It turns the ballad into more of a groove that's reminiscent of uh, Craig Max Flavouring Year, as I've mentioned before. Uh, DJ's out there. Two great songs you can mix together if you want to give it a go. The rap by Eve and Eve and Prince is decent. I'm a fan of that. Uh, To a lesser degree, the Neptunes remix has its moments, namely for the guitar and the Q-tip appearance. Yeah, I like the the Neptunes one. The... Jason Nevins remix is to again discofied for my liking. That could have been a real electro club banger, but it wasn't to be. But amazing, amazing song and a highlight of this album.
1: Woo! All right, I'll finish this song off by just saying that it is a it's a very good song, uh, and it really gets big points, big props in all areas in production and arrangement, in uh, even in lyricism. I, I find it a, a quite poetic, even though I don't quite subscribe to that the the playing is good on it his singing sounds good so yeah it's a good composition the the eve rap in both versions is is nice to listen to but something is missing (laughs) for me i would have liked to have heard this song done overboard i I feel like he you know he brings in I, i don't i'm not sure that it's an arabic scale but did. He, he def- There's definitely a twang to the guitar yeah. or whatever instrument it is that that gives you that kind of arabesque yeah. <laughs> feeling. Um, and there are other elements in there, and especially with some of the arpeggios, <laughs> that that kind of evoke uh, a different era or at least a different cultural, like a Middle Eastern element yeah. to the music.
2: Definitely.
1: But what I do feel is that it is it is a little too subtle. Um, at least for my liking, I I think that he really could have gone into that, delved into that deeper, Uh, maybe get like Omar Hakim to do some live drums on it or something like that. Um, You know, bring in someone playing an oud. Uh, You know, like (laughs) take it back into the around the world in a day kind of um, atmosphere and really kind of blow this one out of the water Uh, because all the other elements are there. But if he got some... Authenticity. Instead of doing most of it himself and just having Mike Scott on the guitar and you know Kirk A Johnson on the drum programming,
2: he, I can see that because you remember at the time when he was performing this in Europe on TV shows and stuff, hmm. like he's always wearing all these robes and this kind of thing. And, hmm. yeah.
1: So he he obviously understood the thing, you know, the themes and the context and the, and some of the musical ideas that he that he was performing and that he was infusing into the song but i would i would just love to see him perform this with an like literally with an, with arabic musicians A- and do something that he's never really done which is collaborate intensely with other artists and and even more intensely than that with other cultures but i, I can't criticize and someone uh, to the nth degree, I'm, all I'm saying is that it would have been nice. And, and that's why I think that this song falls in the department of memorability. Because it comes off as a, as a meticulously done in every department other than authenticity. I think it could have been much more authentic. So that's my um, point on that. <laughs> okay, let's go to track number four. Hot with you. Which is Hot With You. What do you guys oh. think of this track? Any fans out there?
2: Uh, this is one of my guilty pleasures, this song. What? I know a lot of people don't like it. I like um, it. What I really like about it is um, the contrast between... The, the the sort of upbeatness of the beat and the chorus. But then he's just singing it really lazily. And I just think it's mm. really like, eh, I'm just the greatest thing. And it's just, I find it really hilarious to hear. And I, I love the bubbly synth bass throughout. Just sort of changes constantly. It sounds to me like he's just improvised it in one or two takes, the bass line, and it's just left in there. Like he could have just looped it once and then just keep playing the same loop, but he hasn't. He's, he's like, every time... It goes around. It's a little bit different. I love the, like, piano accordion keyboard stabs on beat one. Like, bam, then dan dan, bam. And it just, you know, stabs like someone stabbing you in the back. It's cool. <laughs> um, and I also really like Eve's rap. Uh, I think it's cool. The line in particular, I'm supposed to tremble because they call you the artist. It's yeah. like, it's a real, it's it's Prince taking the Mickey out of himself.
1: Tongue in cheek, yeah. yeah.
2: Tongue in cheek, exactly. So that's why I really like this song. Like, if you're taking this song seriously, uh, you've got a problem, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and the horns, the horns in this song at the end, when they come in, it's like a big do,
1: do, 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 do.
2: Really cool, simple line. So, like I said, guilty pleasure of mine. I really don't like the Nasty Girl remix. I think <gasps> it's just a, Oh, no. <laughs> it's just a, a lame remix. He's changed a few things for the sake of changing some things. But So, yeah. The Nasty Girl remi- remix is definitely like disabled. <laughs> which Eve says in the rap, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, all right. I've got literally like a sentence on this, so if you guys don't mind, I'll squeeze in between everyone and just say both of these versions are quite good. I like them, I don't take them seriously. I do like the Nasty Girl remix. Simply because of the fact that it uses that Nasty Girl sample, and yeah. and I think it's cool to kind of um, I don't know I've always liked that that vocal line out mm. of the Nasty Girl song, and I, I prefer hearing this in like an updated beat than in the in the old early '80s track because it's just kind of like lo-fi, whereas this is like a high-fi version almost of that. Um, but obviously a very different song. And the other thing I'll say is just a quick note here. On Hot With You and on some of the other stuff, in the Into booklet, in the Rave Into uh, booklet, it talks about, or it mentions drum programming uh, as Kirk Johnson. In, In some of the tracks, this is one of them. Now, I kind of like the drum programming in this and in Greatest Romance, which again is attributed to Kirk Johnson, and in Man of War. And I think the drum programming is very Prince-like, but if that's Kirk, big, big, massive props to Kirk, one of the greatest <laughs> drum programmers of, of the modern music era. So I'll just finish on with that.
2: I've not to say to that, I think I think think a lot of the songs that are attributed to drum programming, I think it's Prince like, look, here's the beat, and then scatting it to him or playing it you pr- to him. You, here's the
1: beat, you program yeah, it. You program <laughs> it. Yeah, well, look, Prince Prince produced the booklet, or at least had was happy to have it published that way. So I think Kirk Johnson deserves a lot more credit. I think he is a
3: very good beat maker and producer and remixer, but I don't think his sound necessarily it's with Prince's sound. That's mm. just my take on it. And the second thing, I get the impression that Prince gave Kirky a lot of freedom to just sort, of, sort of sit in the studio and come up with beats. And I think maybe Prince just walks in and goes, yeah, I like This, that, you don't. I like that. I'll use that. I'll use this. Okay, hot with you. Again, around this era, I was a big fan of Eve from her time on the Roots track, You Got Me, and being the first lady of Rough Riders with DMX and his crew, uh, Swiss Beats production, first female rapper to debut at number one, only a couple of months before Rave's release. Um, She was really, really hot in the hip-hop scene at this time. And again, even though I was a fan, I think Prince's sound and a Rough Riders sound was totally different. So I was interested to see how and if the collaboration would work. And her contribution is strong, but everything else is weak for me, production-wise, the Kirky J drum machine on this particular track is too sterile and metallic sounding. Um, it doesn't strike any chord with me. And even though I love the live horns normally, I think this song should have used more dirty electro-sounding keyboards than live horns. Prince's vocal delivery, as Tojam mentioned, is interesting if strange. Some of the lyrics has its moments, like um, the dancing in front of the head in front of my headlights on a hot summer night. I really like that. I can ad- um, I can
0: just imagine that happening easily. Um, <laughs>
3: But overall, it doesn't quite mesh together for me. But I mean, that's got to do with the choice of instrumentation more than anything. Mm. Also, reviving the nasty girl lyrics for the remix. Um, I like the record scratching in the remix. Um, mm. I think it was quite interesting him reviving nasty girl, considering like, like this period he was getting into the Jehovah stuff. And I think it's quite interesting he's using like those sort of lyrics from his past into like a current song. So. That's it. A bit bit of a hit or miss this track for me.
0: Okay, that's me. He mentions Underneath the Cream in this song. There you go. I like it. I would like the Nasty Girl remix more. I like the video even more than that. I think it was through MPG Music Club. I think it's a tie between the album, you know, the Unto and Into version. The Into version has got these bells all the way through it, which... They just yeah. got, they've got this reverb which just goes the whole track and it's really annoying. Yeah. The bells from- remind me of
3: Irresistible Bitch.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can hear that. Apart from that, I like the Nasty Girl one remix more. And
1: that's it. Okay. So,
0: uh... I feel
1: tangerine. 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 Uh, I'll just take this very, very quickly because I, I really, really like this song. It's one of the best songs on the album for me, even though it's one of the shortest. And... I can see how most people could see, could say, I should say, you know, this is just a throwaway, there's not much to it, Nothing, not, not much happens. But I like it for those reasons. It's got a really cool melody and it's very ambiguous, the definition of the song. It's like a, a nice little pop ditty. But what, what really makes this track stand out for me is it's got a quality to it. It's got a quality to the way it's recorded. I like the way that the sounds are recorded. I like what I believe is Ronda's bass on the song. The extended version, really, which is much, much better than the original just for the guitar solo. He really packs a punch into less than two and a half minutes. I I like this. Toe Jam.
2: Yeah, I agree with most of what you say. Uh, It sounds very fresh to me. I remember reading somewhere, someone said it was a a precursor to the Rainbow Children sound, and I can kind of see that, because even though it is slightly programmed with some of the beats, I think, it does have a kind of organic kind of feel to it with the acoustic guitars and bongos and that kind of thing it's a like you said it's a real nice mix of things it's a pretty melody it's a sunday afternoon stoop song mm. uh if you know reflection lots of subtle percussion going on i think it's criminal that the unto version didn't have the the full version although maybe it wasn't recorded that way uh, originally but definitely the into version for this again for that guitar solo and that big climactic ending it just sort of opens up and yeah it's like you know you're breathing out a big a breath of air kind of thing so yeah really nice little little song Okay, Captain.
0: Captain. This song, I like that it's short. It's a nice, simple track, and I I like it's short, so he hasn't got much time to screw it up. He hasn't got time. (laughs) I don't wish it was longer, because I I think I know what would happen if it was. That's all.
1: Well, when the extended version is is like two and a bit minutes long, (laughs) that's Mm. saying a lot. Player,
3: Uh, I agree with you guys. I, I like it. It's a nice, short and sweet song, but at the end of it, I'm always like, what the hell was that? Only because where it's positioned <laughs> on the album, its instrumentation, which is sort of out of kilter with the rest of the album and its length. So for me, even though it's a nice track, I think it was put on the wrong project. I think it would have suited on uh, on something different. When I listen to it, I get the impression that Rave's initial intention was to be a bit like some of the times where there's a variety of styles. And for whatever reason, this was kept on there. But mm-hmm. I really like it, but I don't I don't know, I don't like it on this album. Uh, and that takes us
1: into. <laughs> So so pleased. Believe So Far So Pleased. Yes. Captain, you dig this song? I like this song
0: because it's the, it's the big pop song, so it's got to be good. Hm. This song, I'm annoyed that it wasn't a single. It would have been a good single.
2: Mm.
0: But there's a, there was a rumour that No Doubts label refused because their No Doubts album was just about to come out and they thought, you know, consumers are so stupid they won't understand the only problem is, you know, this is supposedly a collaboration, but <laughs> it's like, yeah. let's record a duet, and then when we mix it, I'll just push you way back to back to <laughs> that we can just barely hear, and that's a duet. That's Prince's idea of a duet, <laughs> which, is, which is great. I love it.
1: It's, she it's, is audible. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so just
2: a but mouse. It, it's,
0: it's not like a collaboration.
2: <laughs> yeah. If no one had told you that Gwen Stefani was on this track, there's no way yeah, you'd, yeah, you'd, you'd have, have
1: no, no idea. You're you right. Might think,
2: not, oh,
0: yeah. You'd never know. Because Gwen came on this song, didn't he go on a song on their next album?
1: Waiting room. That's the it's one. I like song. that song too. Which I like is, that Which song. is a good track. Yeah, that whole album actually is quite good.
0: I like that waiting room song.
1: I really like the guitar
0: riff that goes. It's from 158 to 213. You listen to it, you'll know it. He's used it before and he'll use it again. <laughs> it always, it always works. It's, 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 it's a classic in his little guitar riff repertoire.
1: Hey, he, he uses part of that riff going back all the way to Let's Go Crazy, so yeah, it, yeah, it is a very it's, well-known. It's a good one.
0: Uh, that's about it. Yeah, I'll, I this is this is in my top three or four of this album.
1: Okay. Player? Uh, I agree with
3: um, Captain. It's a nice track. It's a shame Gwen's vocal contribution is more of a backing vocal and mixed really low in the mix than an actual duet with Prince, but we'll take it as it is. Um, the highlight for me in, in the guitar is at that Two minute thirteen mark, where the guitar really starts to um, soar in solo. It's very, very nice. But apart mm.
1: from that, I don't have a lot to say about this track. So I'll hand it over. I'm not really a, a fan of this song. Um, oh. Only because it doesn't speak to me. It doesn't really say anything. It's very, very pop light, pop diddy, yeah, mm. uh, dumb diddy, dum, diddy do. And um, yeah, there's just not a lot. You know, it, there's not much on the surface, and there's certainly not a whole lot going on when you when you go any deeper. And if this wasn't on the album, uh, I wouldn't even notice. Really, um, not too memorable. The guitar is cool, and the guitar in this song is cool in the same way that the guitar in Cyber Single is cool, which is one of my oh, most, yeah. Um, yeah. favorite throwaway tracks. I don't, I don't quite think it it matches the kind of synthetic beat, uh, drum beats that he's using here in programming.
0: You know what else is good on this song that I like is the the harmonies that they sing, just in the the verses. That's all. Mm. Yeah.
1: I never thought I'd say this about a Prince song, but this sounds like something that Avril Lavigne would would come out with. And for, the, for that very reason, <laughs> I'm not a fan of it. But uh, let's take it to Toe Jam to round it out. Yeah, it
2: probably is. Oh, no, there's definitely one more that I don't like. Uh, it's, it's probably my second least favorite song on the album. But it's not, it's not terrible. Uh, it's a really cliche, four-chord pop rock song. I've got the same thing that a lot of you guys have got. It definitely should have been a lead single just yeah. for the fact that I know three or four friends that aren't even Prince fans in their own right, but they have this song because they like the song and they like the fact that Gwen Stefani's on it. So to me, that's like, you know, if I know people that aren't Prince fans that, that like this song, that's got to be the lead single, I think, if you want to make a big, you know, supernatural kind of success. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that was definitely a missed opportunity. Yeah. One bit, I do like the guitar bit in the middle. It kind of reminds me of a very watered down computer blue for a, about 20 mm. seconds. But uh, I don't like, you know, when it goes to that big breakdown, it sounds like, clap your hands, everybody, you know. Avril um, Lavigne.
1: Yeah, Avril Lavigne. Yeah, Levine. a little bit. But, you know, it's not terrible. Okay. So from so far, so pleased to... <laughs> the sun, the moon, and stars. Are there any reggae fans in the house? Hmm.
0: <laughs> I'll just I'll just say... <laughs> to, oh, just oh, take, oh,
1: this, oh. take this. Take this one.
0: All I have to say about this is three words... And that's all I'm going to say about this song. Most skippable track.
1: <laughs> that is.
0: <laughs> that's the dagger through my heart.
1: I've that, got yeah, nothing. That's... I've got
0: nothing else to say about it.
1: That's a big call uh, considering the song we've just reviewed. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Wow. Wow.
3: Player. Um, I'll say three words. Hmm. Claire Fisher Strings.
1: <laughs> now we're talking. Now Defer... we're starting to talk. Definitely de-
3: highlight. Even though I think they're samples, I don't think it's actually written for this track. I think he's gone into the vault and and just taken samples. I don't think it was a dedicated written for for the song. I could do it without the fake Jamaican style rap. um, (laughs) But the groove with the finger snaps and the keyboard pads make it a decent R&B track. The bell chimes are also a nice touch in the middle of the song just before the rap. But every time I hear it... Now this is gonna sound really strange, but it reminds me of Piffy the Bell Ringer from Potluck in the eighties. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, especially oh. people overseas, Google it or look it up on YouTube. Piffy the oh. Bellringer. Piffy.
1: Yeah. But all in all it's a nice track. But that, that Jamaican rap, I mean, get rid of it. Come on, come on. Oh god. Now I think I I, I don't like the rap either, but I think that it is as tongue in cheek as the Hot With You Rap and some of the others. Lyrics and themes on this album, I, I really don't think they're supposed to be taken seriously. It's it is reggae light. There's nothing authentic about this either. And again, this is why I think, for the same reasons why Greatest Romance wasn't particularly memorable and particularly authentic, that's exactly the reason why. You know, if if this would have had some Sly and Robbie production on it, for oh anyone, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, he's starting to to <laughs> yeah <laughs> to see what I'm what I'm what might have come out of it. So. Yeah. That that's my main issue with this is that it the idea is is quite interesting, interesting. especially f- uh, certainly beats Ripop Go To Zipper. But the production. No,
0: no, that's a better track than this.
1: The, the production is a bit um half baked. Yeah, great. That's a great great way to put it. Uh, the only thing that I will add is I actually think that um his vocal is is really cool. Just throughout the song, from the beginning, of the, 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 falsetto. the Yeah, the falsetto is really, yeah. really nice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it does, it does suit, suit It does suit the track. It's a sweet song. Uh, let's let Toe jam round this out.
2: Uh, I really like this song. Uh, it's a dagger through my heart when Captain says something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got here the, yeah, the Claire Fisher strings. It kind of gives it that parade, me a bocker kind of sound. Yep. Uh, uh, once again, a really stunning melody. Uh, the big jumps in the chorus... Uh, again, the interplay between the, the synth bass and sort of a theme throughout the album that he it's a lot more synth bass than guitar bass uh, to me. And there's some really nice moments in there. I don't, I, other than the come on, come on bit, I actually really like the rap. I like the way it builds. And then right at the end, you know, you'll come like a cold winter dew in Montreal. And then he's just got like this big four or five part harmony to finish that last one. Uh, really good. Really good. And I like the way the song finishes too. It sort of fades and it's almost like you're, you know, you've had your big day on the Jamaican island and you're falling asleep now in front of the girl kind of thing. So, um, Yeah, and I, again, I really like this, the finger snap. It's a really slub, sublime beat. Uh, it's similar to Tangerine and that you know, there's a lot happening in the beat, but the song's not really, you wouldn't say it's a fast song. Um, so yeah, Sun, the Moon and Stars is a really nice song.
1: Is don't this... you don't you think it would have been a benefited from some live drums though? Potentially,
2: Potentially. I don't know. <laughs> I, like, I like I like the, like the, beat, the beat that's there. there so. Yeah, I
3: like the pattern. Okay, and the fact that he's using finger snaps instead of like a snare.
2: But he you did play this snap. recently, didn't yeah. he? I think it was one know. of the Nokia shows. He played
1: it. Ah, uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> now we go into a cover song. Oh yeah, and. I dislike this cover so much that I deleted it off my iPod. Oh And I've got, that, I've got nothing to say about it. How about Captain? You can take this one away. If okay, like.
0: I am a big fan of remakes that surpass the original. Ooh. This is not. This is this is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a very different take from the original Cheryl Crow version so it's hard to get re- credit for giving it a go yeah it's hard to review it without comparing it but yeah you can try but I don't mind this version just as a song by itself some people you know it, it's called I've seen it called an abomination I think that's that's a bit strong I mean you, you, you look up abomination in the dictionary <laughs> it, it doesn't have this song listed there <laughs> but some people think it should but the no, one thing that I d-
1: purple and gold is listed under that title
0: <laughs> the, the thing I don't get All through this track is airplane noises. It's really distracting to me. Apart from that, I I don't mind the song at all. There's lots of little things in there you can listen to on headphones, but the airplane noises
1: just I I agree, Captain. It's a very turbulent listen.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Okay, that's all. Player? Um, Every Day is a
3: Waning Road by Cheryl Crow. I used to see that video all the time on MTV around 1998 when... When they were actually still playing videos on MTV, yeah. but but I didn't really think much of it. And but when the Prince version came out, I liked the Cheryl Crow version more. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it, it's a novelty track. It really is. It's more of a disco style remake than like a real electro club banger. So for me, it's a good song, but it's it's not that great.
1: All right, and Toy Jam.
2: Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. It it's just. The songs, like I know, I've said that you give him credit for giving it a go. But for me, what made the original so good was that it was kind of laid back, and and this one just comes across a little bit too forced. It's like he's trying to take one thing and turn it into a, a Larry Graham funk fest, yeah. and it, it uh, just doesn't quite. You reach love the point. your mother, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the uh, the bell chimes throughout it, just. <laughs> They just sound—I don't know—it just doesn't work. It's like why are we putting bell chimes in every day? Is a winding <laughs> road. I don't know. There is a really funky bit at 4:55. Listen to that. It's every very, every it's,
1: day it's a winding listen. That's it's, about it's, all I can say. But very, I just
2: find there's there's just too much happening, and yeah, it's just not the right song to do it with. There's
1: too much of not enough.
2: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I yeah, it's not an abomination, but it's definitely the most skippable track on the album.
1: Ah. And then there's a SAG.
0: It sounds very similar to the, the interlude at the Love Sexy concert. It's just the same sort of thing. Which they, is, um, is that called Cross the Line? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, was it? it could have been they, taken straight out of that and you wouldn't even know. Um,
1: let's go into the next track. Oh, a man of War. Man war. Um, this is a brilliant song. This is one of the best not, if not the best song on the album. Where do I begin? from the very first note to the last, it is a masterpiece. Um, Yeah, it has an amazing story to start with. So, and it's one of those tracks that while you're listening to it, the the effect of the music is so in tune with what he's actually singing about that this is why, you know, that's the main reason that this makes Man of War such a great song as opposed to So Far So Pleased. Or any number of other uh, fairly average tracks, but getting back to this song, it's the emotion, it's the intent. It it is in every nook and cranny, from the beat, which is brilliant, to the bass playing, which is brilliant, and it's minimal yet effective. To the strings, um, which which are just sublime. I mean, Claire Fisher, ever since 1985, you know, this was what 14 years later this came out after the around the world in the day album and those strings just sound as vital and as brilliant as ever the guitar solo guys talk about timing oh. the, the song leads up into the most extraordinary breakthrough when the guitar comes into it and it just opens up the song um it's some a very
2: of the, pink cashmere kind of solo isn't yeah, it yeah
1: yeah it is or like a pink cashmere or a crucial or even a um i hate you in a, a very different solo, I guess, but yeah, it's that kind of th- that kind of um, volcanic see. eruption towards the end of the track, and and his voice <laughs> his voice does that as well. His he it's brilliant. The screams are brilliant, and this is just an, an amazing composition. So uh, if there are any anyone else who likes this track, I'll I'll take I'll put it over to you. <laughs> Pile on now! Uh, I'll take
2: it. Wow, I, I really like the song too. I possibly wouldn't go as far as you go. To me, it sounds like it's potentially a leftover from Emancipation. It sounds to me like it would have fit that album better, especially on that disc too, with all those ballads. I don't want to get into his personal life, but potentially this one and Greatest Romance, potentially the first kind of signs. Yep. Uh, uh, the best part of the song for me is uh, some of the gospel vocals throughout. It's, it reminds me of a door uh, when he's going, if enough I tried to, tried to, that kind of thing. Oh, It's uh, one of my favorite parts yeah, of that song. Yeah, it's an amazing part. And some really subtle horns in there, some muted horns, just in the background, very nice. I don't mind the remix. I think it's, it's good for something different, but I don't think it comes close to matching the Unto version. Yeah, really solid, interesting song. Captain.
0: Oh, do you really want me to talk? Player. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
3: going to be with Captain probably. Oh, okay.
0: Oh, okay then. I'll go then. To me, this is just... It's hard to say. It's, to me, it's an average R&B track with some hints of brilliance. It's not a great track, I think it's an average track, but there's bits in there which are really good. Like, ToeJam m- must hear the same things I heard. Like, there's shades of a door in there with the horns and the vocals. The remix, the only grip that this track had on me is totally lost in the remix, which is... Uh, don't like the remix. So.
1: No, the, re- the remix is uh, pales in comparison, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's an average track,
0: but you can tell he's borrowed sections from older tracks and they, they fit in there and they make the song better. They make an average song more slightly more than average, I think. Blair?
3: Okay, I think the most intriguing thing about this song is its lyrics and when I listen to the song, it makes me wonder who the song was written about or who was inspired by. Me. I think Toad Jam touched <laughs> on that there. Um, Music-wise, it doesn't do much for me. I usually press skip when it comes on. The only thing I like is the chorus to a degree. I, I mean, I like those lyrics where it says, um, you know, break the gold chain I gave you, throw it down on the floor. It's, it gives you like a really good visual of, you know, the the heartache and, and all that. That's sort of expressed in the song. Um, but again, it's not a song that should have been considered as a single, I think, especially on the back of Greatest Romance, like having like two ballads. Um, Two you
2: potentially know. depressing ballads, too. Well, exactly.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's even though I'm not really a big fan of So Far So Please, I think I agree with you guys that that should have been a better choice. But I'm, I'll leave it at that. I hey. guess that's 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 if,
1: <laughs> if radio plays what you're getting at, but our, yeah. I, you know, Prince himself might have a very different idea of that. I just want to say that I mean, Man of War. Again, you brought up the lyrics, and I'm, I'll, I'll make this very quick. But even the first. Paragraph, um, which I'll very quickly read. Why are you screaming? You know I'm not a man of war. Break the gold chain that I gave you. Throw it down on the floor. Instead of this seven-page letter, I wish I had peace of mind. My friends tell me you should go get her, but loving you's a waste of time. I think that's great. That's a great. I mean, in in one paragraph he says more in that one paragraph than some of the a few of the other songs combined. I think. Yes. And that's just one paragraph. So obviously, um, he had something to say. Had something to say. Danny <laughs> said it, so yeah, I think it's a brilliant track. And from that, we go into... Baby Michael B. on the drums with Baby Nose. Any takers? Player? Uh, I think it's good,
3: but not great. Again, having a guest star as essentially as a backing vocalist doesn't really make a difference if you have Sheryl Crow on there or not. Um, It doesn't really excite me, this track. It's too contained and measured for my liking. That's another cowbell song. That's about it for me.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Uh, like, I mean,
3: it, it's great that they, they got Michael back, uh, Michael B back on there, but you know he's not really doing the big drum fills, or it's, it's just straight two and four. Like, I mean, they could have had anyone, even Elkie you know, J doing that.
1: Prince could have drummed on that.
3: Exactly. So you know that that's that's the thing. It doesn't really excite me the, the song. So that's about it.
1: Okay, Captain.
0: I like this song. It's up there with the best songs on the album. But I don't have that much to say about it. It's just a good song. It's funky and it's poppy. And the extended version on Into has got a cool little guitar solo. But it's just a cool song.
2: Okay. Jam. Yeah, I like the song as as well. It's definitely not my favorite on the album. It, It is a little bit by numbers, a little bit. But I like the way he's trying to go for that let's go crazy sound. Like it's got that Minneapolis synths, but then it's got the big rock sound behind it too. It it is somewhat forgettable. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it it's just it's like you know it's a good song. You like elements of it, but it's just something that I don't really feel I need to go back to. So I don't know. Maybe the stuff ain't brown on this song
1: too well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that didn't come out right. The
1: <laughs> nah. stuff is brown, you mean? Stuff is brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Uh, baby knows. Interesting lyrics. I have to say, I, I do like the lyrics she got the butt that go round, the kind of poochie you make you beg, turn a dog into a hound. But don't you think
3: it's strange that Cheryl Crow is singing those lines as well?
1: It, and it's, But what's even stranger is that she's. if if Stefani was, was barely audible, then Cheryl, Cheryl Crow is barely in the mix, isn't she?
2: Yeah. Uh, no, even, I've completely forgotten Cheryl Crow was even on this track until he mentioned it a second ago. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, you know, says, saying something.
1: So. And her perfume, it smells like The weekend. Ah, okay. Um, but yeah, no, it does have some some interesting lyrics. She stroked me up and never down. Oh, I do like that one. <laughs> <line.
3: laughs>
1: so there's some funny prints in there. The the two letdowns for me on this song are um, number one when they would perform this on t- like I've seen some of the TV appearances from the late night from '99 and and or that era, and uh, knowing that on the album, Mike, even though it's like you said two and four, Kirk kirky J was drumming on this and i thought he never really brought it whereas maybe if michael b was in that same seat he might you know go a little bit ape on the song and and really tear that tear the roof off the other thing i want to say is that i reckon that this song and just stick with me on this baby nose performed by the 95 era npg i reckon would have torn the house down for some reason maybe in a different arrangement but this it kind of has the potential to be a real rocker but it dozen on the album, and I can't put my foot on, on what it is, M- maybe if it was rearranged and potentially even recomposed slightly. Uh, I think some of the chords are just a bit too, like like Player said, a bit too measured, a bit too predictable, and and he's using very, very standard chord changes here. So, you know, they, they appear in, ca- what, th- thousands of pop songs, uh, or rock pop songs, anyway. Who plays
0: so, the harmonica? Is that
2: Sheryl Crow? Yes,
1: yeah, if you can hear it. Uh, Oh, the don't you
2: hate it when they when they did it live? Um, they, had they had Morris Hayes doing the triggering samples. the sample, yeah. then pretending he was actually playing it.
1: <laughs> so, uh, okay. After that, we go into I love you. but I don't trust you anymore. Tender ballad. And um, who wants to lead this off? How about Toe Jam? If you want to start this up.
2: Ah, uh, yeah. Why not? It's a beautiful song. Once again, a really strong melody, which is the theme for the album, I think. Definitely a precursor to One Night Alone piano. Annie DeFranco on the acoustic guitar throughout. Could have been a little bit louder in the mix again, but I think what she plays is very understated and and works well with what Prince is playing on the piano. I thought it was really cool how Prince, Maceo and Annie DeFranco kind of had this three-album thing happening where they're each on, uh, like Maceo and Annie DeFranco are on this album. Uh, Prince and Maceo are on Annie's To The Teeth album and then um, Prince and Annie are on Maceo's Dial Maceo album. Maceo. So I thought it was really cool that they all came out within a year of each other, and they all sort of had this three-way collaboration. It's cool, when that happens. Travelling Wildbreeze did that. And once again, it's a vocal showcase. And the lyrics are really strong in this too, I think. I think it's a very honest sentiment and very to the point, and just some really nice moments, like at the end when he's singing, you know, how's that more for a long time then oh whoa oh whoa, oh, oh, just really nice effects don't really have a lot more to say it's just a very nice and honest and beautiful song
1: okay player thoughts on this
3: um yeah i know this is one of the standout tracks on this album but because of the theme of the song and the nature of the lyrics i tend to skip this song the majority of the time because i think it's a very sad song to listen to it's it's a confronting song for me i'm um, but in terms of his catalog of songs, it's an important song because you know you've got to address themes and emotions like this in relationships, and here it works because he's putting himself out there, and for that, you know, you've got to hand it to him. Hmm. I like the fact he doesn't edit out the start; he left that in there, which gives the song a more personal rolling, rolling. approach. Yeah, but it does the little cough, and I, I like that that <clears throat> that was yeah that wasn't edited out, so because it gives it that personal approach, like I said. All in all, it's very powerful, but it's just—it's just too confronting for my ears. I tend to like—I get really sad when I listen to the song. So, you know, if I'm not in the mood to get sad, I'll, I'll just skip it. But it's not because it's a bad song; it's just because it's just a bit too confronting for me.
0: Who isn't in the mood to get sad? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just a couple of a couple of brief uh, thoughts on this song. I, I think it's—I love you, but I don't trust you anymore. Seems to me to be one of the most honest and open insightful songs of Prince's career From the lyrics I mean even the first line I could tell from the moment you walked in the room it ha- it in the thematic content uh, it reminds me a little bit of uh, lately by Stevie Wonder it, it has some some similar uh, a similar quality in the piano and yeah, the arra- I can see that. in the arrangement and definitely in the um, very definitely in the theme. And, and of the of the lyrics and, and what he's trying to say. So, yeah, some great lyrics there. You know, su- such simple lyrics. You could tell from the moment you looked in my eyes that I could see right through you. You must apologize, all those sorts of things. And, again, quite poetic. And I, I also really like the fact that even though it's titled I Love You But I Don't Trust You Anymore, he actually uses the lyrics in an interesting way by sometimes um, changing the order of the words to say... Um, I know you you trust me, but you don't love me anymore. And it, it you know it, it brings up like player said probably melancholic emotions, but it's one of the most uh, emotional songs of his career. I mean, the fact that I heard it twice in one night <laughs> and quite exquisite versions of them uh, and of course I'm talking about the Montreux it uh, wouldn't be a peach and black podcast without the it, mention of the of Montreux, of Montreux. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, and both of those performances should really come out uh, at some point on a future DVD release or Blu-ray release we hope and Captain I think that leaves you
0: another guest lost in the mix it's an okay ballad not listening to lyrics there's not much there for me to listen to except piano and guitar, and that's pretty basic. It's all about the vocal in this song. So, yeah, that's it. There's yeah, not much to say.
1: So now um, I think comes the, the first complicated part of the show where we, we mention a song that isn't on the official album. And when I say official, I mean the initial album, which is... Beautiful Strange. Beautiful Strange. A live favourite. A song that anyone who was at the October 24th show in 2003 at the Sydney Entertainment Centre would know very well. They did a version of this at the Soundcheck in Sydney. Uh, Beautiful Strange, here as the original album version on Rave Into The Joy Fantastic. And I'm assuming, very presumptuous of of me, that we have four Beautiful Strange fans in the room. Is that right? Definitely.
2: we're definitely strange.
1: (laughs) sometimes beautiful you, captain? Should
0: never, you should never assume.
1: never assume <laughs> well let's just for the sake of being shocking let's start with captain on this what are your thoughts on beautiful strange
0: it's good and i know toe gonna say it but i preferred the original version which was on the video it was a lot more raw without all the all the, the bells and whistles on there on the on the into version
1: player what are your thoughts on Beautiful Strange? And were you at that October 24th performance? Yes, I definitely <laughs> was So we were both there. in the room. Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, it's, I mean, like he says in, in the song, Dive Inside Your Soul. I mean, it's it's like um, the same caliber as Joy and Repetition. It's it's just one of those, like, really hypnotic tracks. And, like, once you're in it, like, you, you're really into it. So there's nothing really much I can say because it's just... It's just it leaves me speechless, this song. It's really, It's
0: sublime.
3: It is sublime. Yeah, definitely. Okay.
1: Toe Jam.
2: Yeah, an amazing song. Definitely one of the best of of um, the last 15 years, I suppose. It's definitely, to me, the, the brother slash sister of joy and repetition. Uh, equally as good. I have to agree with Captain. I do prefer the Beautiful Strains VHS version. And for that reason, I can never really see this song as being part of the rave project. Uh, Mm. To me, it's more of a New Power Soul song. Yeah. Um, but having said that, it's still, the intro version is still an amazing version uh, for something different. Uh, it's got that really metallic guitar solo uh, running through it, uh, which is the main difference between the two. And yeah, really insightful lyrics, uh, very slow paced, very brooding. Yeah, an amazing track.
1: Okay, okay. And I'll finish the song by saying more of the same, pretty much. Uh, but a few things that I'll add are. Because I had a player and I, and, and potentially a toe jam and captain might have heard this song in other live settings as well. Hearing this live is incredible. What he does to it. I mean, the the studio version is great, but it's a song just like Joy and Repetition that can really extend. He can really extend and and just really get into, kind of, kind of search. And a lot of the solos, the guitar soloing is generally searching when he does it live. This song cemented my fandom to 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 the biggest degree at, at the Sydney Soundcheck in two thousand and three. This song, and I don't know if player can remember this, but people people's, people's jaws were dropped.
3: dropped. Yeah, definitely.
1: It was, was, was awe inspiring. I remember one guy. Like, I I don't know who who this who was, was, but, he, was but he, right was after the, the end of, the of this song. song. With the yeah, biggest, biggest smile, smile across his crazy. face, this this dude in the on the right hand side of the stage just yells out, "Sound checked." <laughs> 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 and that was just that was just so cool. I I can't remember who. I'd love to know who that who that person was. So if you're listening and you're an Aussie fan, let us know who because that was awesome. Um, but he, oh, what can you say? Obviously, I'm speechless as well. So I won't waste too much time. But I will say that. <laughs> That uh, Mike Scott does add some nice flourishes in in the um in the chorus and, and in the verses, uh, and that is credited in in the into booklet. But I believe it is Prince Prince's solo. I have mentioned in the past that I thought it was Mike Scott, but upon listening to it many many times, I, I think it is Prince playing that solo. And what a solo it is, regardless who who has played it. But the, the lyrics, I mean, just the, what a title, beautiful, strange. But this is. This is the best song on the album for me, except for the fact that it wasn't on the original. Okay, and from Beautiful Strange, we go back to the original album. I believe the song is Silly Game. play the silly game? Okay, so Silly Game, I believe it was a, uh, what would you call it? A tribute to a degree to the Chilites, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, a band from the late 60s, early 70s, that had some semi Classics in the in the soul vein of, of popular music. Player, what do you think of this song? Uh,
3: silly game sounds like a, an emancipation leftover to me. It's in the same vein as Golly Well, La 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 means I love you. It has a certain '60s Motown style and feel. Child lights, as you mentioned. Um, my favourite line in the song is the "Be your sugar daddy, one-way ticket to ghetto fame" lyric. I really like that line. Yeah, it's lines like that make you wonder who the um, who served the inspiration for these tracks. Nice enough, but again, it's just a
0: hit and miss track for me. I believe it would be Shy Lights. I think you're right, like shytown town Because Chicago. they're from yeah. Chicago. Yeah, I, I just believe lo- you're right. I just, I just looked yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah.
2: Toe Jam. Uh, I like the song. Um, interesting instrumentation, with the vibes and the flutes, and, the, and there's a sort of a mix between the synth strings and the real strings. Uh, once again, it's got that bubble bass. Uh, synth bass kind of thing, slightly dreamlike. My favorite part of the song is the way that every time it gets to the part of the song where it says "Why do we play this?" each time he adds one more. So in the last one, it's like "Why do we play this? Why do we play this?" and there's a bit yeah. of silence. Why do we play this silly game? Um, and I think it's a really original sentiment. I think it's very interesting thoughts when it's kind of like you're in this relationship and you suddenly get to this point where you're like, "What what are we doing here? We just..." Are we, are we real? Are we fake? What are, like, kind of what are we kind of thing? And I think it's a very interesting to put that sentiment into a song. Uh, and I also find it interesting the way he accepts blame at the end. Uh, it, there's only us to blame. So it's not like he's blaming, just saying, oh, it's all your fault kind of thing. It's kind of, look, you know, we've both got to this point ourselves. I also have written down here at 3 minutes 10, which is just towards the end of the song, uh, the sort of cadence that sort of finishes the song. If you listen to the bass in that, it's just this really interesting walking bass thing. And a, a, once again, a really strong melody. Uh, definitely not the strongest song, but sets me up for my next one. So I'm waiting for that.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Silly game is a solid song. Uh, uh, one of the highlights here is is obviously the um, the orchestral arrangement. And again, it does sound like a sample that's been brought in. So I, I think the orchestration here is is the standout. And the way that the orchestration the interplay between the orchestration and his vocal, actually. I mean, this, this, I could imagine this song being done as an acoustic with, with like, obviously only orchestral accompaniment or just like a harp and a lute or something. I don't know. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be the type of song that needs a lot because the, um, the melody is quite solid regardless. And yeah, it is a good, I do like the, um, the point that he's making in the song uh, about relationships, and again, it it's funny if you look at you know, silly game, uh, beautiful, strange to a lesser degree, but definitely, I love you, but I don't trust you, Man of War, um, Tangerine, uh, the greatest romance ever sold. It there's a theme here, so a big chunk of this album is um it's definitely about the the different parts of a relationship. Um, Captain, I believe. Oh, pass. Okay. Done. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Woo. Wow. All right. And we go into strange. Something that's strange but true.
2: Strange but true. The song. Okay, can I take this one? Take
1: it. Take it. I'm saying it. I'm saying it and, and this is this is your moment. <laughs> this is your moment. We've been <laughs> doing this show for two a bit years.
2: Okay, here we go. Uh, strange but true. I'm saying it and as of yet I haven't had anything change my mind about it. Strange but true is my favourite song of all time.
1: <laughs> no, no joke,
2: no joke. Every time, every time I'm thinking about what is my favorite song, this song is not, not always up there. Whether it's one, two, or three. It's so about Prince, right? Not just Prince, or uh, all time? I think of all time. I think by anyone. Yeah, I'd probably say so. Because wow. every time I'm thinking about it, this is always the one that's sort of there in in my head, and and then I listen to it, and every time I hear it, it just blows my head off. Every time. Very cool.
1: <laughs> wow! Wow! Uh, this is the. This might be the biggest moment on the Peach and Black podcast <laughs> show in our history. It's all downhill from here. It's like,
2: <laughs> I'm, it's like I feel like I'm coming out of something, jeez.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's,
0: it's... <laughs> this song needs to be added to the Opera House set list, I think. It has to.
2: Oh. Okay. I think if I heard it now for the first time, I might not think that way. Potentially because the lyrics are kind of talking about his religion. But for me, this song is like the epitome of the moments when you realize in your life that anything is possible and to me he's like that's what this song encapsulates to me i hear this and i can just think yep nothing else matters do what you want to do kind of thing and to me it's really uplifting for that reason it's really futuristic there's so many futuristic things happening there's so much stuff happening in the song there's samples there's like all these hidden things in every corner of the headphones to me, it's kind of a um, part two of New World, uh, the song from Emancipation, which I think pales in comparison oh. to this. Uh, but it's kind of stems from that sort of seed. Right from the very beginning of the song, we you have that um, those keyboards just, just really yeah. soft in the background, and then just this big kick drum just boom, sh- boom, boom. Oh man! And it's again, it's got all this futuristic stuff it's got like a sort of star trek line throughout it Da-da-da-da-da, that kind of thing and it's got yeah. these orchestral timpanis it's real declamatory kind of like yep you know this is my life kind of thing hmm. and i really love the way in the song how the bass starts on seven Ba-da-da-da. so it's not starting on you know the main note it's starting on the one before it and leading up to it and um that kind of leads me into my other point which is at two minutes fifty just before the big synth solo. What makes the synth solo so great is this little section before it. It only goes for like 10 seconds... And if you listen really carefully you can hear this like drone in the background. And the note that he's playing is again, it's the seventh note of the scale, which is like of all the chord notes in one octave anyway, it's probably the least stable one. So it's this feeling of it's stable, but you just know any moment now something's gonna crack. And then <laughs> that synth solo comes
1: in and it just oh, ah. Yeah. That, that that synth solo is is amazing, I have to admit, it's ridiculous.
2: And then it gets even better. It gets better because He's got this little Minneapolis synth line. That
1: yeah, that's right. I think it
2: happens three times throughout the song. Every time he adds it, he adds another harmony. And the third one with the third harmony, it's just yeah. like, oh, it
1: gets that's, in your skin. Yeah. That's right. It gets in your skin. Now,
2: I'll keep going on this track.
1: Keep going. This is the, this isn't what you are saying is the greatest song of all time, <laughs> This is what you were born to do. <laughs> you, this is your moment. Keep going. i have got, okay, I've, got a theory,
2: I've got a theory about this. the lyrics of this song. Do you guys know, you know, The Secret, the book and the mm-hmm. DVD? Yeah, and oh, I've heard of it. Yeah. So basically, what it's about is, you know, the power of attraction, kind of like if you hmm. continually think about something, then you know, the universe will, will bring it forth kind of yeah. thing. Power of the subconscious. And to me, et I'm starting to think that, you know, Prince's interpretation of, of scripture and all this is it's kind of a combination of the two and like to him, you know, his concept of heaven in, in the... I don't want to get too deep here because I might be completely wrong. Um, his interpretation of Heaven in that religion is when you're at that point where you can attract whatever it is you need to attract to make the perfect world. Hmm. So I'm getting deep here, but that's just this is what deep on of that. That comes to my mind when I hear this song. Okay, and I think that's kind of echoed in the um, the voice. You know how it slows down and speeds up when it's just strange but true, strange but true, and then true, it's this real yeah. deep one. Yeah. And if, if it's whether or not it, it's probably not intentional, but to me that kind of symbolizes that he's sort of saying, what is the difference between? a God and someone who is kind of just in the moment doing their own thing. And I think it's kind of, even on a subconscious level, it's kind of suggesting that we're all, you know, superhuman powerful if we have the right belief kind of Mm. thing. So I might leave it there, but I don't know. I can't say enough about this song. It just, it blows my head off every time. I must've listened to it (laughs) probably 300 times. And every time I hear something new in it, strange, but true best, best song of all time.
0: Holy moly. How
1: do you, how do you follow that? I think we're yeah. done, guys. <laughs> what, a way to, what a way to finish the show. <laughs> Come on after Toe Jam's review of Strange But True. I'll go. Okay.
0: Uh, it's a very interesting track. Just say it's
3: just a song.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I read somewhere that there's a sample of controversy, but I couldn't hear it. It might have just been that sort of... Jam's heard it
1: 300 thing. times. Why don't you ask him? I've
2: never heard, I've never <laughs> heard controversy. I've heard a lot of things, but I've never heard controversy. But who knows? I'm not saying it's not in there. Uh, it's a very interesting track.
0: It's, it's a track you wouldn't expect him to come from him. It's, it's different than what he does. And all, The only other thing I've got to say is the last 10 seconds is funky.
1: The, the synth is, is ridiculous. The... um. The yeah. so, the synth solo just blows my mind every time. But yeah, this I like this song. Not as much as some of us, <laughs> but, but I, I definitely do like it. the The lyrics are are also interesting. I think the music's kind of future. Music's timeless in the sense that it does sound as fresh as it did back then, and and I think it'll sound that way forever. Mainly because of the way it's structured, and and, and that is to say that it, it it sounds like a song that even though he's he structured it deliberately it does kind of sound messy when I hear it. It's You don't quite know what's going on uh, because of, there's so much happening. But some interesting lyrics, even the first line, okay, let me say this quick before I start to cry. You're mm-hmm. the only one that I gave it to, the one I fantasize for, blah, 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 blah. So then you think it's personal, but then he he goes into a... Things like dreams of sovereignty that tried to come between you and me—a curse therein set forth, a chain of events. So you've got all these, all the, all negativity bows. Um, yeah, I, I like are, that bit. That, that that's pretty cool. And uh, you know, there, there's all there's also the the classic line, um, "The only prince that will ever rule this holy land." So it's it's very self-important, uh, I find, and I th- I actually think that detracts from the song. The lyricism, but then when you get into the the musical side of things, Oh, wow! Who does this kind of stuff? Who would put so many stereotypically different elements together into into something into a song that I I could couldn't for the life of me describe? I mean, yeah. even if in Toe Jam's glowing review, my my review of Toe Jam's review is that it's it still hasn't told me anything about the song. But this one kind of uh I think it defies everything. I think it defies this song defies all logic because so many things. He's brought so many elements into this music, into this particular piece. And I, I just, for one, I can't make up my mind. Uh, but, but I do think it's quite good. Maybe Player can sort this mess out for us. What do you think, Player?
3: No, I don't know if I can sort out the mess, but this song is the ish. Like, it's, it's awesome, this song. The soundscape, the instrumentation, the lyrics, the delivery, the Oberheim keyboard solos, it's pure ear candy. This is a must-hear on headphones track i got to say, if you didn't read the liner notes, you would swear Dr. Fink made a return doing the solo at 3.02. <laughs> From there on in, uh, you know, you got the funky face on when you're listening to it. The whole track is sonically amazing. It's dark. It's edgy. And it just has some lyrics that just leap out at you, like, you know, every door that closes, another one opens... Um, yeah. that's, that's a great very, line that's a great one Yeah, yeah that's
2: or, very much this kind of secret thing kind of thing like you know if you're focused on one particular goal then you know the universe will come around and make it possible kind of thing so that's the way I read that line So
3: yeah um, the all understand and stand under this affirmation now but he, he used that understand and stand under reference in the in the um, monologue before the song one song you know using the play on words mm. And um, the other the other lyric that jumps out at me is the you you may have lost me but I found myself
1: somehow that, yeah yeah
3: yeah I really like that line I think where he fails in the style of the message of undisputed he more than makes up for it here in strange but true and I think this is another highlight of this album it's very very cool cool song
2: and it's criminal that it wasn't on rave into
1: one of the better songs on here and as strange as it is. We're going into Lenny Kravitz's again. Oh, no, no, hold on. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> Wherever You Go, Whatever You Do. Wherever you go, whatever you do. Uh, the second last track of this album. Um, Player, what do you think of this? Well, I think you summed it up already. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh-huh. Look, I love
3: looping the first 10 seconds or so of this track with the Lindrum over and over. Yeah. Some great programming there. I don't know if that's Prince or Kirky J, but it's it's... It's very cool. I think it's a nice closing track with a free-flowing feel to it, but it doesn't really stand out to me, this song. And here I will go, I'll make this point. Prince made a good point around this time of how the song seemed to inspire Lenny Kravitz' track called Again. Um, and the two songs do sound very similar, but I prefer the Lenny song personally. But this song is still good nevertheless. but yeah, I
0: think I'll take the Lenny one over this
1: one. Okay, okay. And Captain?
0: Yeah, the the drums in this, they're very forever-in-my-life-y. Hmm. Yeah, it's a very similar.
1: beat. which is cool,
0: but I like this song. This again with um, so far so pleased. This is another sort of poppy wannabe song. But this this but this one co- shouldn't couldn't have been a single. It's just it's not good enough. Strong enough. It's him doing. You know, yeah. This this could be a top forty song, but it's not even up to that level. But I, I prefer Lenny's. I prefer again as well. It's just better. I like it better. But, this is the, but again, this is it's an okay song. I don't think it would have... It's not strong enough to be a single, but it's a good, it's a good enough. It's, it's, it's a good closer, except for hidden tracks. That it closes the album nicely. It's no gold. It's no Purple Rain. It's no Temptation, but it, it's nice.
1: How about, how about this? I'll tell you what it is. It's in the vein of uh, Resolution for me. This is, one of the, this is one of the most forgettable songs in the artist's... Discography, I think. And um, anyone who says, which obviously includes me, that there's a similarity between this and um, again would be correct. But all similarities end when you start talking about one song which is really great and this song which is pretty mediocre. But do you think Lenny's
3: song was completely original and just so happened to sound like this yes. song? Yes. Or do yes, you I think. Do. Or do you think he's borrowed from this track? Lenny wouldn't be listening to this, believe me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, but as I'm, so, I'm sure, Toe Jam will agree, it's the most common chord structure you're ever gonna find. Oh, it's pop it's 101. It's so easy to make a song out of that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it could have easily just been coincidence that they're very similar songs. He just sat down and wrote that the day after Prince <laughs> let him let him listen to his new preview of his album. I think,
1: look, I think the um, the chord progression is virtually identical, but everything else is different. You've got Lenny's voice, which which uh, I I don't even know if this is a fair comparison, but Prince sounds like he's singing singing to like to to a bunch of third graders. I was just about
0: to say a bunch of kids.
1: I mean, really, it's, it's such like, a la-la-la la-la song. Where's, where's Elmo? You know, where's Big Bird? Where's Big Bird when you need it? This where's is, is Perry. such a lame song <laughs> from the point of view of delivery and I mean lyrics. They're they're pretty naive. Uh, Bubblegum Pop, isn't it? Remember when you were children, you had toys. <laughs>
0: oh, you're saying this track... Yeah, before you're saying, oh, yeah, this track's really uplifting and great. Why is it this one?
1: Because it isn't. It's trite. <laughs> it's too calculated, and it's just... Oh, I don't
0: know. He tried too hard? Or he didn't try hard enough? He tri- <laughs>
1: I <laughs> think you just take closed your, my review take, of this take your pick yeah this is one of the most forgettable <laughs> closers off of Prince's or any other album wherever I go and whatever I do I will not be listening to this tune that's for sure Toe Jam what do you think of this song?
2: Uh, I wouldn't hate it as much as you do
1: I did uh, I know you were going to say uh, that
2: I think it's a nice attempt at a sentiment it's similar to Reflection and songs like that where he's trying to close the album on a you know, a nice relaxed note, but I think it is probably a little bit too weak, uh, given the, the amazing song that came before it. I don't know why, but every time it starts, the guitar riff starts, I hear the Beverly Hills 90210 theme.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think you've hit the nail on the head.
2: <laughs> and to me, that kind of spoils the song. So it is an, it's a nice little song. It's the Lin is definitely the highlight, and there's some nice little vocal spatterings throughout, but. Yeah, it's a bit of it is a little bit of a weak closer. Though so thankfully, it's not the real closer.
1: Mm. I mean, this is from the guy that brought you Peach, ladies and gentlemen. But anyway, <laughs> we finally go into the hidden hidden track. Hidden track. Some people have claimed this the best song not Toe Jam, of uh, <laughs> this album and they said, well, how could have this been a hidden track? This should have been the starting track, the the most released track, the single even. Don't hate him because he's beautiful. He's a pretty, pretty man. man. And before we go into this review, is it true, does anyone know that this song was written as a tribute to the Morris Day character?
0: As far as I know, yes.
1: Yes, with Very him in sure. mind. Okay, okay, cool. So
2: I'm he sure not- he said it in a Magazine interview, but again, don't quote me on it.
1: Okay. So um, let's talk about this last song and Captain. I've got this
0: down as, with question mark at the end, best song on the album. I, I don't know if it is, but it, it's up there. Mm. It's, just such a, it's just such a comedy. It's great. It's um, Pretty Man. It's <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very funky song. And uh, you got Maceo doing his thing.
1: Maceo, can you blow?
0: Yeah, and you got the extended <laughs> version, which yeah, it's nothing to get excited about. It's just another Maceo solo. Or well, may- maybe that is something to get excited about for some people. And I like at the end of this track, you've got like this Smash. Yeah, you've got this. Like su- s- <laughs> <laughs> At the end, I think it's the end of the extended version. Yeah. You've got the smashing. And Mm -hmm. that's supposedly, that's Prince smashing his CD in disgust because he was so disappointed with Arista's treatment of it. (laughs) It's obvious to me that
1: that's a mirror shattering. (laughs) It could be.
0: Yes, Am that I, would make sense for the track.
1: I, the first time I heard that, I thought, "Oh, that's hilarious!" Is you know, it's it's. Um, he cracked the mirror. Yeah, he cracked the mirror with his egos too. too. <laughs> that's pretty obvious from where I was sitting. Yeah, but that's all. So yeah, Toja mentioned earlier that he would play rave before a show to get himself psyched and although I might include it in the playlist I think this is the track this is the funk jam on the album Maceo's all over it and some nice drum work from Prince supposedly he's playing live drums on this um, and supposedly he's playing bass on this and virtually everything else uh, other than sax obviously uh, lyrics are hilarious the lines about the hair, the uh, hair, you hair, know, hair. look into a, to a mirror kiss, kiss it twice, twice. hilarious, hilarious. Smell Myself, myself yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. This is, this is one of his funniest songs. It's one of his most listenable songs. It is pure James Brown, P-Funk, extravaganza, and great song. What can you say about it? One of his best jams. Toe Jam, what do you think about this?
2: Uh, yeah, I can't say too much more. You guys have taken all the good bits. Uh, it's a real funky track. James Brown inspired, Morris Day inspired. Put those two together. It's like fire. <laughs> it's, I actually kind of think it's a shame. It's a hidden track. It would have been good for people who might have seen that song being performed live as it was around the time and then going to the album store and seeing that and thinking, oh, that's the one that he played Mm. on this whatever. Mm. So It's a bit of a missed opportunity, I think, because it was a really good song.
1: Cool. And Player, rounding out Pretty Man, uh, pretty much you guys pretty much covered it all. Uh,
3: It's got to be asked why one of the highlights of the album is the so-called Hidden Track. Uh, it's an all-time favourite in the Prince community. Prince has said that "Pretty Man" was written with Morris Day and the Time in mind, and you definitely get that. Um, I wouldn't even, see, uh, wouldn't mind seeing Morris covering this track if, if Morris can put this song into some of the Time material. I mean, mm. it it would sit really it, it, nicely in there.
0: Here they've got a new uh-huh. album coming out. Uh, yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah, we'll review it on the show when it drops. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you get the James Brown vibe from Maceo. It's it's really Prince Eddie's best. And again, that's it's with with the themes of of the the rest of the album. It's it's kind of uh you know, it doesn't really fit I guess with the rest of the album, but maybe it's, that's
1: why it's a hidden track.
3: Yeah, but it's you know, I think it, it should have been highlighted more than just a hidden track because maybe if, you, if this was released as a single it might have brought the attention to the project and people got into it more
0: but it wasn't to be
1: mm. so that's that that final rounds thoughts? out our uh, huge rave review yeah final thoughts on the album
0: I'll say it's, it's a weird album for a couple of reasons Yes. listening individually most of the songs I'm like yeah that's a pretty good track but when I just have my remember my memory and my thoughts of the album I think it's not that good an album. But when I actually listen to each song and I'm like yeah that's a good song, yeah that's a, that's pretty good. But overall as an album it just it's a bit it's just off. There's something not right. And I don't know what it is. I have no idea.
1: I think I agree it's not very cohesive.
0: <laughs> I'm sure he did put a lot of time into, you know, this song goes before this one and then this one should go after this one, but it still it just doesn't work for me. So what are you giving an out of 10? I think I'll have to say out of ten. See, to- all the scores we give, Toe Jeff's not gonna like it. But I'm gonna say <laughs> six and a half. Oh, yeah, six and a half. Another dagger. Another dagger. <laughs> Ooh,
3: interesting.
0: But see, when I listen to each song, I would give higher scores to a. I agree. A, at least half the songs individually, I would give them a, a much higher score than that. Yeah, I agree. But with overall, you, Kevin. as an album, it just doesn't work somehow. But yeah, six and a half out of ten
1: player huh? <laughs>
0: I look at
3: it like this in in 1982 when Prince was singing about 1999 for years, I was thinking, well, you know, that song was so, ba- like a banging song and the album was banging, what Prince would sound like in actually 19- the year 1999. Hmm. <laughs> and in the year 1999, it was very plastic sounding. It wasn't, you know, the multiple layers of Oberheims to make a really thick sound. It's a mm-hmm. real thin and plastic sounding. And to me, it, the only word I can think of, it's frustrating. This album's frustrating to listen to because of what it could have been. It could have been better in a production. It could have been mm-hmm. better promoted. It could have been better collaborations um from everything like the whole project is just and when i listen to it i think it's a sad album to listen to in the sense Mm -hmm. that the themes that he's talking about and relationships i mean if you take out the vault new power soul crystal ball and then you go from emancipation to rave i mean emancipation was like the big love album and this is kind of like the opposite it's like the sad
0: breakup (laughs) yeah
3: breakup album and it's I mean, that's kind of good that you got like two different sides of a relationship, but for me to listen to it as a whole, it's kind of like a sad album to listen to it, with the themes and, and just frustrating, like I said, because it could have been so much more than what it was. And I think even Prince got to a point where he thought, like, this, this direction isn't working, scrap it, let's start from basics, and then we got, like, the Rainbow Children.
0: Like, we didn't even talk about the promotion or lack of from Arista, but himself, he promoted the hell out of this. He was doing every other TV show in Europe, and he was Actually, all over I- the place. I got to mention that the TV appearances like the Larry King interviews some of
3: them were really really good and insightful and I really like some of the stuff he was doing around that era but I think problem was was Prince wanted Arista to promote the album more and I think Arista wanted Prince to promote the album more and they were just sort of throwing the ball to each other and no one was taking responsibility for it and it just got lost in the mix
0: hmm.
1: yeah there you go uh score I will score it 6
2: oh. Another dagger.
1: Daggers, daggers. <clears throat> it's a very difficult album to rate because I, I agree with everything Player said and, ca- and everything Captain has said, and even taking into account the fact that <clears throat> this album contains Toe Jam's favorite song of all time, I um I struggle with it. First of all, the the album loses one point because it, it was because of the way it was promoted, which I think ruined the magic. That otherwise could have been. The guest appearances add very little or add nothing. And I think they just... You know, it's the only album that has so many guest appearances and I think it fails in most aspects. Then you have something like Wherever You Go, Whatever You Do, So Fast, So Pleased... (gasps) all the remixes, like the rave remix, and the fact that it, it, like this, it's not even really an album. It's there are two different versions. He felt the need to release a second one. It's just a bit of a mess. I had to make up my own compilation. And really, there's nowhere to go from here but down. Um, <laughs> because I'll give rave a five and a half. Uh, there you go. Totally uh, uh, <laughs> okay.
2: Okay. Uh. There's a part of me that wants to give it like a nine or a ten, just because it's got strange But True on it. But I do know that it has some flaws. But for me personally, this this when this album came out, this was the first sort of new Prince album that I specifically went out and bought. Sort of being a although I wasn't a huge fan, I was a you know I would call myself a Prince fan then. And this was the first new album that came out after I became a, a so-called fan. So for Your me, it always experience. Yeah, that's right. So for me, this album has a, has a very special place. I'm finding it really hard to give it anything less than an 8 for that reason. For me, it's got like five stellar tracks. Five stellar tracks on there. Rave Unto, uh, Greatest Romance, Sun, The Moon, and Stars, uh, Strange But True, and I Love You But I Don't Trust You Anymore. And then it's got a couple of really good ones too. Definitely underrated by most of the fans. Some of the the best things of the album is, is just the production, the vocal layering throughout the album is really thick and nice. The melodies throughout the album is very nice. It's not just a funk album. Uh, I think this is—it's not that's his the best album with it.
3: Sorry, it's because his... like, like like I was saying before, like nineteen ninety nine, I was expecting the party album in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, we never got that, yeah. and so I that's, think that's where like your ex, like for me the expectation didn't meet the actual product that was released.
2: I, I'm not saying it's his best in Sign of the Times, but it's his best attempt at making a Sign of the Times style album. The things that do kind of let it down a bit are the guest appearances. Not that what they've done, the guests, is bad, but it's just kind of like it reminds me of what Nelson George says in, the, in that Prince documentary where he says, like, when Prince is producing you, you don't get... You get a uh, Prince production. A, you get a Prince production. You don't get, like, a collaboration between the two. And that's kind of a bit of a drawback, given that it was advertised as this big special guest album kind of thing. So that's a bit of a letdown. But, um, yeah, I'm going to stick with an eight. I think it's very underrated and it has a very special place to me as a music listener so there we go 8 out of 10
3: just one last thing the vote that we got you all guys to do for greatest Prince songs of all time I've actually taken the songs that were featured on Rave and this is the order that they are from most popular to least popular interesting the very first one is actually not on the album it's Beautiful Strange Uh then I Love You but I Don't Trust You Anymore Greatest Romance Raven to the Joy Fantastic Pretty Man Wherever You Go Whatever You Do
2: (laughs) Oh, they made
0: it. Wow.
3: Then, Strange But True.
2: Oh, that's another dagger. <laughs> Killing me tonight.
3: I love it. It's Man-a- hilarious. Whenever you go, wherever you do. Man of War. Oh, what? Wow. Tangerine. Oh. The Sun, Moon, and Stars.
0: Where is So Far So Pleased?
3: Hang on. Hot with You. Oh, my gosh. Then So Far So Pleased.
0: What is cool. a, almost last? Jeez.
3: And then Baby knows Undisputed, and Silly Game is the lowest ranked on that album. Silly wow. Game. That's all over, place, hey?
0: yeah. all over the place, eh? Yeah. Who voted in that? Come on.
3: <laughs> I will post it in the forums, the actual listing, from highest to lowest oh, wow. for this album. So just in case you guys want to know, that was it. Cool.
2: Tojan, don't, don't know, you have something like- to say? i got a plug. Uh, some of you may know. I'm um, in a band called Cheap Fakes, and um, very funky reggae dance kind of band with horns and guitars and basses and drums, all that <laughs> funky stuff. Uh, we'll be down in Sydney on Saturday the twelfth at uh, the Macquarie. the Mac.
0: February. February.
2: February. Yep. At the uh, Mac. 2011. 2011 cool place. And then we're playing at Bondi Beach Hotel on the Sunday night. So if you're in the area and you like funky music, uh, come and check it out.
1: Cool. And I believe Cheap Fakes are also replacing Janelle Monáe and CeeLo Green at the Good Vibes Festival <laughs> around well, the country. You know. <laughs> oh, it's the same weekend, yeah.
0: <laughs> Shout out to anybody? Um... Shout out to Miles Davis.
1: <laughs> Silence. Just to, wait, yeah. four seconds on. I... Done. Okay.
0: <laughs> um, shout out to Victor and Down in a Hole because they love posting so much on the forums. Thanks, guys. Um, shout, out shout out to Baby Roo and Ant Poo. Yay. <laughs> Thanks go. for joining our forums. Questlove, we know you're there. Uh, Marvin Kim, we know you're there too. <laughs> okay. Shelby, Shelby, Shelby's around.
3: Come on, guys. That's enough.
0: <laughs> you have been
3: listening to the Peach and Black podcast.
0: Further your Peach and Black experience on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, as well as the Peach and Black forums, peachandblack.proboards.com. You can also subscribe to the Peach and Black podcast for free at iTunes.